Merlin's Lab is a sponsor on today's episode. On behalf of Merlin's Lab, I'm proud to announce our newest supplement. Merlin's Silver Solution. Having anti-parasitic, antibacterial, immune-boosting, and anti-inflammatory effects. It aids in cell regeneration, is a powerful antioxidant, and is also pet-friendly. Purify your water and get rid of pesky odors without the harm of chemical fragrances. Visit the site at merlinslab.myshopify.com for more. Check out the site now and get your own 7ppm Merlin's Lab Silver Solution. Use code Journey to Truth for 10% off store-wide. We here at Merlin's Lab thank Journey to Truth for the opportunity to share this message with you. Please enjoy the show. That's no moon. It's a space station. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Uh, a few quick announcements before we get started. Just a reminder, part two of our Inner Earth webinar is coming up this Sunday, 5 p.m. Central Time on our Patreon. If you missed part one, you'll want to go back and check that out. That was focused primarily on the dumbs, the deep underground military bases, and it got some great feedback. And that link is below in the description. If you want to sign up for the Patreon, it's only $5. And you don't have to stay signed up if you don't want to, if you just want to sign up and check out the webinar. But we do appreciate uh, people that uh, stick around because we're posting a lot of great content there. So stay tuned for part two of our webinar, 5 p.m. Central Time this Sunday. And Scott Walter is joining us today, and he is going to be speaking at XCon, a conference I'm also going to be speaking at at the end of October, October 30th, 31st, and November 1st. And Springfield, Missouri, and I figured, you know, it would be awesome to be. It would be fun just to have Scott on and kind of talk about what he's going to be speaking about at the conference. And we're going to uh, get into some interesting connections between the Knights Templar and the underground network cities, and potentially the the connection to Atlantis and the Atlanteans. So I'm really excited to get into this today with Scott. So welcome to the show, Scott. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Um, it's only a, a little over, what, two weeks before we're going to be uh, getting together down in Springfield. And I look forward to meeting you guys in person. And I really look forward to the presentations that we have. Uh, Haley's going to be there as well. And she's going to uh, uh, give a great presentation. But it, it's really going to be fun. And I'm going to talk about some new things. I'm starting to weave in things that I've been sitting on and until the right time. And that time is now. <clears throat> well, that's exciting. And for anyone who doesn't know, I'm sure you recognize Scott from American Unearthed on uh, History Channel. He's a forensic geologist, yeah. right? Yeah. Geologist, and, yep. And an author. And um, we're just excited to have you on. You know, I watched your show over the years and I never imagined I'd be sitting here talking to you. So this is really cool. Ama an amazing show. I, <laughs> right, love, yeah. I love that show. Yeah. It's a really cool experience. And and uh, one thing I do want to say before we get started is one of my favorite things I've heard you say in an interview in the past. You said, I trust rocks more than I trust some people. Is <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I actually, uh, I've always lived by that mantra because uh, it's true, right? I mean, rocks don't have egos. Rocks don't have agendas. Um Right. They just they just are and and they tell the truth and so I trust them and uh my faith was well founded in in the rocks because um everybody around me when I first started working on the Kensington runestone starting back in 2000 uh was telling us this thing's a hoax and everything else and I'm like well I'm, I appreciate your opinion do you have any evidence to support it? And as it turns out, they they really didn't. Um, but The Rock had a lot to say. And I trusted The Rock, so I followed it. And um, it led me to the truth. And I just got to tell you, as a geologist, rocks have never let me down. 
So that's why I trust them. But people often let you down because they have egos, they have agendas, rocks don't. Right. Yeah, I love it. Well said. Uh, exactly. So we're getting ready to cover um, the inner earth in our upcoming webinar, in particular, like underground cities. And right. The Knights Templar, which you're going to be speaking about, the Templar connection at the conference coming up, um, they also um, are known to have gone underground and, you know, they have a tunnel network themselves. They were moving religious artifacts. And then you even mentioned something before we went on camera about a potential connection to the Atlanteans. So yeah. I'll just give you the stage and kind of let us let you uh, explain to us in the audience what you, you know, what's going on there. Well, I think um, one thing I would like to do is tell you that um, there's a you're you're familiar with Gaia uh, streaming network, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So in yeah. June, I filmed a 10 episode series with uh, a good friend, uh, a fellow Freemason and Knights Templar, Tim Hogan, <clears throat> who is the current grandmaster yep. of an order I belong to that is not Masonic uh, called the Martinist Order. And one of the things that we did in this series is we just decided, and and as Grandmaster, you know, we sort of take his cues on subject matter that we should and should not be talking about. And essentially what he said is it's time to drop all the bombs. It's time to not hold back. It's time to tell the truth. And so really one of the things that I'll talk about is essentially – the Knights Templar are part of a, an ancient tradition. The true Knights Templar is part of an ancient tradition that goes all the way back to a high culture that existed prior to the Younger Dryas called the Atlanteans. And one of the things that I think it's important for people to understand, Atlantis was not a place. Uh, people have been chasing after some location uh, that, you know, disappeared, you know, under underwater. Um, and, and there is some truth to that on, on one hand, but essentially the Atlanteans was a high culture that existed prior to a catastrophic event that happened called the Younger Dryas. And it looks like now this was a series of comets and extraterrestrial debris that intersects with our solar system's orbit about every 26,000 years. The last time was just over 12,800 years ago, about 13,000 years ago, uh, when the Younger Dryas period happened. Now, the Atlanteans knew this was going to happen, so they prepared. And I think one of the best examples of the preparation of that is a place called Gobekli Tepe, that archaeologists have been saying for a number of years was intentionally buried or covered up to protect yeah. it. The question is, why did they do this? Well, if you go back and look at the timing, this is right as the Younger Dryas uh, impact, the catastrophic event, which, you know, and I don't want to sit here and sound like I know everything. I'm I, I think I, I know what my understanding of it is, but there's a lot of new research that's coming out that is definitely supporting the narrative that I've understood for a while now. Um, actually, I attended a really, really amazing conference in the early part of June called the Cosmic Summit, which was in, um, uh, where was it? Was it Asheville, North Carolina? Yeah. And uh, George Howard was the guy that put that on, and um, it was just fantastic. There were a number of speakers that really the focus of that conference was to talk about the Younger Dryas and and uh, and related aspects to it, of course. But uh, it really looks like a major uh, series of impacts caused catastrophic destruction and almost wiped out that high culture of the Atlanteans that existed at that time. You leave it? Okay, have a good workout. Sorry about that. That's yeah, all right. <laughs> anyway, um, so they they prepared for that. And one of the things that they did was they buried their observatories like um, Gobekli Tepe. They also carefully hid, hid underground in most cases ancient knowledge that 
that they were aware of that they wanted to leave for whoever might be the survivors of this, uh, this catastrophe um, to rebuild the society and the culture that existed before, that it looks like operated on a very high intellectual level, on a very high spiritual level, and probably had uh, more knowledge and a better relationship with the extraterrestrials that only now I think the information is really starting to become public now. I think the governments around the world that have known about this for a long time recognize it's time to come clean. So that's that's happening right now. And so what's what happened is this information was passed down through different traditions uh, who were the ideological and biological descendants of this Atlantean high culture. The Templars were just one phase of this descendancy of, of if you will, of this culture. And it, when it was their turn, they, um, they asserted themselves in a way that was absolutely brilliant that few people truly understand and recognize today. Uh, they founded the order by establishing a, a medieval monastic order called the Cistercians, the white monks with the dark, with the black tunics, which represented the essence of their ideology of monotheistic dualism, uh, a single deity that had dualistic aspects that keep things in balance, right? Yin mm -hmm. and yang, yeah. <laughs> that whole yeah. concept of opposites. Uh, it's symbolized on artifacts like the Kensington runestone with the hooked X symbol that I've written about and actually trademarked uh, several years ago. But that represented the essence of their ideology. And this was an important thing that scholars did not understand and completely bungled when artifacts like the Kensington runestone, the Spirit Pond runestones, the Narragansett runestone, and other documents that have, are now coming forward that are littered with this symbol, which was an ancient sacred symbol to them that really uh, goes back to the Atlanteans and beyond. So it's now time to talk about that. Uh, they were master uh, tunnelers going back to the Atlanteans, and, and they actually created sanctuaries underground to try to survive that cataclysm that, that showed up at the Younger Dryas period. And a lot of them did survive, but most of them were wiped out. So the Templars were established by the tradition to uh, form this monastic order and go into Jerusalem to establish a base of operations by using the Roman Catholic Church to serve their own purposes. Now, historians and, of course, the church will tell you that they were fighting for Christendom. And on one level, that is exactly what they were doing. But their true mission and the true purpose was something much different, to establish a base of operations in the region, to go around the region uh, into Egypt, into Turkey, into Lebanon, um, certainly Israel and other places, to recover that knowledge, uh, that information, the relics, the remains of people from their tradition in the past um, with the ultimate goal of bringing it over here to North America to establish or reestablish that high culture that they used to call the Atlanteans that we now call, now call the United States of America. Uh, unfortunately, there are other forces at work that uh, are not on the same page with the plan and so this is why things have become muddy. This is why a lot of this truth has been suppressed. But the tradition continues on, both ideologically and biologically. And, you know, we're working to try to reestablish that high culture that recognizes that everybody on this planet has a God-given right or deity-given right or whatever you want to call that higher power. In Freemasonry, we call deity um, the great architect of the universe. And there's a reason for that. 
But everybody is born with certain inalienable rights. It doesn't matter what religion you are, what color you are, what creed you are, what sex you are, what sex you aren't. Who gives a shit? Mm-hmm. Right? right? I mean, right. all of our blood is red. And the sooner we recognize that and stop all this goddamn killing that's going on in the Middle East right now, and it's going to (laughs) spread if we Mm -hmm. don't recognize that this is what needs to happen. We all need each other. And the point is this, guys. Once humans come together and figure our shit out, then and only then, well, out there. Those societies, those cultures, those races in the interstellar community will start to welcome us because we belong with them. And, I, you know, it can't happen until we get our act together here. I well Absolutely. said. And I, I agree more. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. It's like why they would never show up in the, in a time of chaos whenever it could potentially have a negative effect. If we're not right. ready, um, it could only make it things worse, to be quite honest. Right. And that's that's a reality that a lot of the people who are just waiting for a disclosure, waiting for them to come, uh, they have we have to understand that like, you know, we got to get our shit together first. And you know, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. But um going back to the to the underground network and uh I got I mean you've traveled all over the world. You know, you've you've seen some of these sites yourself and uh the construction do you think a lot of these tunnels like the technology that they were using um to build these underground cities and these tunnels does this look like something ancient like beyond like the atlanteans did it and the templars just moved in or do you think they were digging in themselves or they had access or privy to they were privy to certain technologies and knowledge that we aren't today i think the answer is all of the above um i think I think a lot of the underground um, workings that we see in places like the Middle East um, are, I think a lot of those were not built as permanent underground dwellings. They weren't designed to be permanent, right? And they were to survive this, this catastrophe. And, you know, exactly what their plan was for how long they needed to be underground is unclear. I don't think it was intended to be permanent. When you see a lot of these structures, as amazing as they are, I just don't think it was permanently designed to be that way. I think ultimately they wanted, they, you know, their plan was to come back and inhabit, you know, the the earth. And I think the evidence for that we see in a lot of these structures these temples and buildings and and amazing structures to see around the world in Egypt and uh, Central America and really all around the world that were constructed with a high technology that we're still trying to figure out. I mean, this is something that absolutely is clear. Now, those structures seem to have been uh, built with, with more of a permanency in mind, right? I mean, look, the pyramids... Let's forget about what these Egyptologists are saying four to 5,000 years ago. That's bullshit. They date back to the Younger Dryas and beyond. We have no idea when they were originally built. We have a lot of evidence that suggests that in their prime, they were covered with white, beautiful marble stones that when the sun hit them, they would absolutely glow like a laser beam. Now, Mm -hmm. exactly why they did that, there's a lot of ideas about that, but I think that'll all come out in due time. But um, I think the permanent structures primarily were above grade. I think the temporary structures were below grade. And the same was true with the Templars. Uh, Although a lot of these structures that they did build underground are pretty amazing, I, I, I don't think they were designed to be permanent underground dwellings, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, th- th- so as far as the temples being created from a technology that we just can't explain, right. I, I agree with that. So when you're coming across some of these artifacts that don't fit the official narrative, do do those come across the same way? I'm sure. Like, just, do they look completely ET, like a human didn't make this? Have you? Ever- um, 
Well, so, you know what? I, it, now that you mentioned that, I haven't really thought about it like that because most of the artifacts that I've looked at um, either were a frauds. I mean, there are frauds out there and we've identified those and called it as we saw it in some cases very begrudgingly because some of the artifacts I've seen, I wanted to be real more than anybody, but they just weren't. Uh, but those are in the minority. Uh, they're relatively few and far between. And frankly, when I come across fakes, they reveal themselves in the laboratory pretty quickly. So, uh, so that's one category of artifact, but the ones that are real that were, were um, carved uh, in most cases by whoever, uh, most of the ones that I've been looking at date back to the medieval period. They were created by the Knights Templar, things like the Kensington Runestone. And what, what I see with these artifacts is that they were carved into rock that's very durable and long lasting. And when you carve something in rock, it's not permanent forever, but it's, a, it's, it's going to be there for an awful long time, provided something doesn't happen to it. But, you know, the Kensington runestone, for example, was carved into a rock called a, a Paleoproterozoic Metagraywacky. And that particular rock is extremely dense, extremely hard, and um, it was carved with steel tools, which, of course, they had back at that time. I mean, their swords were made of steel, right? Mm -hmm. So having a hammer and chisel is not uh, difficult. But these things were built to last, for sure. And, and they did. And they're still here with us now. And, um, you know, they really wanted these things to survive. The runestone is a land claim. That was the stake in the ground that the Templars put in here just a few decades after the put down in 1307. Uh, it was put in a strategic geographic location that, to my knowledge, I'm the first person to even talk about. But again, you know, when you look at what's happened in the past, these academics have dismissed it as being a hoax. So why would you spend any time thinking about why it was put there? Because it's a hoax. The Rock told me it was real. Therefore, somebody carved it. They came from some place and they came here for some reason. Absolute truths if this thing is authentic. And I think we figured out the answer to those questions as well. Right. Right. So as far as I'm going to I'm going to switch it up a little bit. All right. Um, well, actually, let me ask you this first. Um, working with the History Channel, you know, it's interesting Um you know, academia, you know, shuts down a lot of your conclusions and your results because they don't shut them down. They just say that they don't agree with it and that I'm a fringe archaeologist and or a fringe geologist. And they just call me names and pseudo archaeologist. They love yeah, the well, look, archaeology to me. Um, let me just go on a quick diatribe. OK, I just got to tell you this. This when I first did the runestone and I wrote my report. And I thought it was, I said it was authentic. I had people deluge me and just attack me. And, you know, I said, look, I'm a reasonable guy. Okay. I've written my report. You disagree. Let's have a conversation. Right. Tell me where I screwed up. I'm not a perfect human being. If I made a mistake, I'll fix it. Point it out. Okay, let's be adults here and have this conversation. I didn't make a mistake. They just didn't like the result. Right. Well, too freaking bad. I mean, sometimes <laughs> life doesn't go your way. And so, of course, I said, point it out. They couldn't point anything out. So what do they do? They attack the messenger when they mm -hmm. can't attack the message. So right. that's bullshit, guys. And I'm not going to put up with it. And so I haven't. And so what they do is they just come after me and they make all these claims instead of being adults and, and having a discussion. Now, here's the other thing that I would like to tell you that that to me is kind of kind of incredible. They call me a fringe archaeologist that I don't understand scientific method. Right. I have run a materials forensic laboratory for almost 40 years. I do hard science investigations all day, every freaking day of my life, okay? There's nobody that understands scientific method better than me because that's all I do. Yet these people are trying to tell the world that I don't understand it. But yet I've worked on projects like the Pentagon after 
And I didn't go after that job. I got a call from the government and they assigned me to that project. And I like to think that they, they did that because they think I know what I'm doing. Okay. And I've done a lot of other projects. My job, I, I'm not here to try to brag about it, but I'm not going to listen to that BS. Okay. And the other thing for the archaeologists, let me think about this. Okay. You guys are digging in the dirt, right? Well, last I checked, dirt is weathered rock. Okay. I'm a geologist. You find lithic artifacts, arrowheads, spear points made out of, oh yeah, rock. And you find pottery, right? which is fired clay, which is a rock. Maybe instead of attacking me, maybe, here's an idea. How about collaboration? Maybe we can work together, okay? And get to the bottom of these truths instead of you guys sticking by your dogma. And the, and the other thing I want to point out, geology is a hard science. We are taught scientific method. No offense to archaeology, to historians, to anthropologists, to linguists, to, um, you know, uh, runologists. But these are humanities disciplines, okay? They are not hard science disciplines. So don't give me any of this BS that I don't understand scientific method. Really? I would venture to say that because you guys couldn't figure out a lot of these artifacts, maybe you're the ones that need a little coaching in scientific method. And I'm here to help you. So as soon as you guys are done attacking me, I'm an easy guy to get along with. However, I am an old linebacker. I played four years of college, four years in minor league. You want to go? I'll go. I don't care how old I am. I can still hit like hell. <laughs> but I'm also easy to get along with. So let's have a beer and let's work together to solve these mysteries because I can help you if if you want to be helped. Right. How was that? I think that was incredible. Yeah. Mic drop. That was amazing. Add <laughs> um, up, boys. Let's go. Yeah. I, I think ultimately what happens is when you come and challenge somebody when they've already made up their mind and they've already came to their conclusion, it threatens mm -hmm. their belief system because now they've they've developed mm -hmm. a belief around this artifact or religion or whatever it is. And their identity is attached to that. It's a threat to their identity. Yeah. When you challenge yeah. that, yeah, they're threatened. And it's not so much that they don't want to believe it. It's so much that they don't want to let go of what they believe in. You, you, you hit the nail on the head. That's a really, really good point. And let me just say one other thing about scientific method that goes to the heart of the point you just made. Okay. And let's face it. We're all human beings, right? You work very hard to try to, to solve whatever question it is that you're investigating, if you're an archaeologist or if you're a forensic geologist or whatever the case may be. And when you do think that you have found the right answer, um, whether we like to agree or, or believe it or not, there's a certain amount of in emotional investment that's involved in this, right? I mean, you worked your ass off, you've drawn a conclusion, you've written a paper, um, and, and you're, you're proud of that, right? Well, remember this, right? Part of the scientific method is always being open to new evidence that may come along that, frankly, might flush your previous conclusion, right? Mm -hmm. And let's all be honest with each other. Nobody likes when that happens, right? However, if you are a true scientist and you look objectively at this data and it demands that you have to change your opinion and draw a different conclusion. That doesn't make you stupid. That makes you smart. That's what scientific method is all about. And I got to tell you, it's happened to me a few times in my career. Um, and you know what? I'll never forget. I was involved in a parking ramp collapse where two construction workers were killed. And what happened was it boiled down to some a critical connection between two concrete members that were grouted. And the question that we had to answer, because that connection failed, the ramp came down, these guys were killed. A lot of people were injured. <clears throat> and it came down to the question of, was that grout set when the failure occurred? And it had been applied that day. It was a rapid set grout. But the question was, was it set or was it still plastic and not set? Now, the samples that I was sent indicated to me that the grout had set. And that's what I wrote in my report. 
And I remember, I'll never forget, I flew out to Washington, D.C. This happened out in Washington, in Virginia. And there was a young technician who was on site that day taking samples of concrete and samples of the grout. And we sat down during the day and we looked at this critical connection. It had been pulled off to the site. It was in an evidence room. And he looked at me and he said, Scott, I just don't think it was set. And I said, well, what makes you say that? And we eventually, you know, we talked around a bunch of engineers and, you know, you know, there was law enforcement there and all this stuff. And that night we went to a bar and we were playing pool, having a couple of beers. And I said, Matt, let's talk about this. Why did you say that? He said, well, you know what? He said, it was raining during the day and then it started to sleet. It was cold. And we had placed that grout. It was packed in. But when the temperature went down, he said, I just don't think it's set. Now, just so your audience understands, concrete is a heat generating chemical reaction. And yeah. whether it's heat or it's grout or it's mortar, temperature matters. The colder the temperature, the longer it takes to set up. So I, I said to him, I said, are you sure? He said, yes, I really believe that. Now, you got to understand this guy was a technician. And he was intimidated by being in the room with those guys. But it wasn't until we got alone in a relaxed setting. And, you know, I think he felt like he could trust me that he could really tell me what he thought. So the next day I went to the engineer in charge and I said, I want more samples. I said, cut that goddamn connection and give me those samples and we'll take another look. And guess what I found? I found evidence that that grout had deformed plastically. In other words, not brittly. Brittle deformation happens when it's set. Plastic deformation means it wasn't set. Matt was right, and I had to change my conclusion because yeah. I had new evidence. And you know what? I wasn't upset. I wasn't defensive. I was happy as hell because we got the right answer. And there were a lot of people... Uh, whose careers were at stake and their businesses were at stake and a lot of money was at, sta uh, at stake based on the conclusion that I wrote. And I had to change it based on that evidence. And that's one example of a time when I was wrong initially. Now, I didn't have the, the right samples, but that's what I'm saying. If you get new evidence, you change it. Right. If that's what the evidence says. Right. And exactly. that is real science. Yeah, that is what science is supposed. That's the definition of science. <laughs> that's the way it's supposed to work. The way it's supposed to work, right? Mm -hmm. It is interesting, though, that the human element also played a role in this because he did not want to speak up in in front mm -hmm. of all those people. It wasn't until we got alone that um, you know he really felt comfortable saying that. And he's a young guy; he didn't have the experience, and he wasn't sure, but his gut was telling him something, and his gut was right. <clears throat> right. Exactly. Yeah. Well said. And, you know, you have yeah. to be open minded to that stuff. I mean, you, you know, things are supposed to change. We're supposed to grow and evolve. You know, we hold on to yeah. the old ways like nothing. I mean, we just can't nothing is set in stone in this reality. Like it's constantly shifting and changing. So uh, we have to learn to let go of things that we just, you know, that no longer serve us. And there's 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 a, a few universal things in life, right? One of them is nobody gets out of this thing alive. Um, but the other thing that is a universal truth is change. All things change, all things evolve. Uh, and everything doesn't stay the same all the time. And I think we forget that sometimes we get comfortable in our lives or in what we think we know. And uh, we forget that, you know, yeah. All things change, all things end, and we just have to be mindful of, of that. Right. Like somebody exactly. see you see somebody from high school and they're like, Man, you changed. I'm like, Yeah, we're supposed to. Like we're supposed to. <laughs> I'm not like supposed to live. Yeah, it's called getting older. <laughs> right. But but that's how it, like growth. You can't have growth without change. So people want right. to people that's become right. attached to how things are in one time and then there's and then their growth stops. Right. Yeah. One of the things I realized was happening to me whenever I went through my initial awakening and, you know, just had that consciousness awareness explosion. Um, I realized that I was living the same year over and over and calling it a life. 
you know, like I was right. just yeah. like in, in right. repeat and I, and I finally snapped out of it and that's whenever we started the show and all this stuff happened. But, yeah. um, and that's the type of people that would come up to me and I would say, you've changed. And I look at them and they're, they're in that, they're pattern. still, they're still yeah, in that yeah. cycle that I was in. And yeah. we have to, we have to find a way out and take that, take that leap whenever it shows up. And it's the scariest thing ever. Cause I had to leave my job in construction, a whole number of things happened, but yeah. Perfect example. Well, you know what, though? I mean, you felt it in your heart. You knew that it was the direction that you needed to go. And, you know, I think a lot of people look, that's a scary thing. I don't care who you are. That's scary to to sort of have that awakening that you talked about and to act upon it, to to say, I don't want to live my life like this. I want to I want to do this. And, you know, I've had those moments, too. But um, not everybody's able to do that. And, you know, sort of, it, it also goes back to what we talked about before, how, you know, everybody has these God-given rights and, um, you know, we have all these differences, but yet at our core, we're all the same. And I, I, I remember years ago when I started to travel a lot and my dad was a, an airline pilot. So I had free passes back in the day. I could go anywhere and I took advantage of it. And I, I always found it interesting to go to different places, even just within our own country. You go to the South or you go to the West, you go to the East, you meet people that think, that talk differently, that <clears throat> do things differently. And I mean, I just tell people, and, and let alone going to different countries and other parts of the world, where you meet people that, you know, do things very differently than you. But I mean, I just tell people, look, I know what my buddies in high school do. <laughs> I know exactly what that's all about. I don't need to, you know, stay there forever. I want to meet new people. I want to learn about how other people think and, and what they enjoy and, you know, trying new foods and going to different places. I mean, um, I've always been like that, but mm -hmm. some people just sort of never get out of that comfort zone. Right. And venture off and try to learn about other people in other places. And I got to tell you, you know, as much as I, I love my country and I love living here in Minnesota, um, I go to other places and I find out, you know what, they make coffee better than I do, or they do this better than I do. And you know what, I didn't even know about that. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. And you're never going to know unless you try it. Right. Right. Exactly. And I've, I've been doing quite a bit of traveling in the past few years as well, which is one of the beautiful things of like breaking free from that, that loop that I was stuck in. Um, yeah. But what I've noticed is that uh, we complain about a lot of things that most other countries are grateful for. Like they would be yeah. grateful to have the things that we complain about. Exactly. And, and right. I, that was a big eye opener for me. And like the, the, the mundane stupid things that we get upset about like you just let go of that you're like wow at least oh. you, you go live with some other people somewhere for a, two weeks or whatever it's a first different way problems. of life yeah you, oh, think, you think you've got problems yeah yeah you got nothing to worry about i'll tell you another thing that I, it's germane now because uh I, I play a lot of basketball and that's that's one of my workouts and then you know lift light i don't lift heavy anymore i don't need to but um we take our health for granted. Um, I, you know, and I've been very fortunate. I've had a, a relatively uh, healthy life and I've, I've made a point to do that. I said, if I, if I want to live a long, healthy life, the one thing I have control over is taking care of my body. But as you get older, you know, you get aches and pains and I got this damn sore knee and I took a week off from playing hoops. And yesterday I played for the first time in about two weeks. And, um, I, I, I'm going to be okay, but it's sore today. But little things like your health, I think, you know, when you're healthy and things are going well, especially when you're younger, you just take it for granted. Well, let me tell you something. Don't take it for granted because as you get older, stuff breaks down. And um, that would be my one advice to younger people is take care of your body you know, do healthy things. Don't smoke cigarettes for Christ's sake. You don't look cool. You look stupid. And <laughs> just you. take care. I'm sorry. I just yeah. when I see somebody yeah. smoking, their their stock just drops instantly. And <laughs> there is no excuse for it. I know it's addicting, but you know, it, right. it's gonna kill you if you don't quit. <clears throat> so uh working for the history channel, did you ever run into any restrictions or limitations as far as what you were able to 
say or show on the show? I mean, I mean, or are you not allowed to talk about that? <laughs> I can say whatever I want. Right. Um, yeah, I love that. Yeah. Awesome. You know, I, I, I'll tell you a couple of things, but I want to preface everything that I say by um, I worked for a number of different uh, television networks. I worked for many different production companies. Um, I've done, you know, quite a bit of TV over the last 15 years, and I've had a great time doing it. I was treated wonderfully by everybody that that I've ever worked with. I've worked with brilliant people, fun people that I call lifelong friends now. And I just want to say that anything negative I might say here after this, I want to temper it by saying I've always been treated very well professionally. I've had a lot of fun and um, I was compensated fairly. So that's the first thing I want to say. But having said that, um, when I did America on Earth, I told them before I did it, I'm not going to do anything that I feel is unethical, is improper, or I'm sure as hell not going to lie to the audience. And I will tell you, there are shows out there right now airing that do that all the time. And um, so you can be sure that I never lied to the audience. Now, did we go into act outs, you know, into commercials and sort of build something up and try to get people through commercial? Absolutely. You have to do that to try to keep them to, um, you know, stay with the show because people have short attention spans. And if you don't, they'll change the channel. And we don't right. want that. But that said, we never built something up that was complete BS. Did we maybe go a little over the top? Yeah, sure we did. But that's just part of the business. Um, there was a couple of other shows that I've done where uh, my words were edited uh, and I was pissed off. And I said, if you ever do it again, you know, there's going to be problems. There was one time when and. I'll just tell you the story. I don't care. The show's not on anymore, but it was called Pirate Treasure of the Knights Templar. And I was asked to help out on that show because they had trouble getting diving permits and they needed content. So I came and I helped them when America on Earth was on hold. <clears throat> but one of the things that happened one day is we were actually in Jerusalem. And I was going to be working with one of the top archaeologists, um, the top archaeologist in Israel. And he was an older guy, and I was looking forward to doing this because the scene was in um, on the Temple Mount. The, um, the Palestinians control, the Muslims control the Temple Mount. And, of course, there's a lot of Israeli history there, and I don't think I have to tell you that they don't get along very well. And so one of the things that they did just to piss off the Israelis is they bulldozed a certain section uh, of the area next to the Kidron Valley into the river. And what they did was they mixed up intentionally about 5,000 plus years of history just to be assholes. And so what they did was the Israelis recovered material and they were sifting through it trying to recover whatever artifacts they could and make sense of that material that was no longer, you know, um, in sequence in its original positions. And so what I was going to do that day was sort through some of this material and then interpret it. That was the scene. So that morning, well, actually the night before we were shooting B-roll in, in the walled city. And while the guys were shooting, I was done for the day. So I was going into these different shops, looking at old coins, looking for Templar coins. I was doing research for a book, um, Akhenaten to the Founding Fathers. In any case, I, I went into these shops and I found a bunch of stuff. And after about an hour, the uh, field producer came up to me and he said, hey, Scott, he goes, I'm interested in buying a Templar coin. And I said, really? I said, well, I just went into a shop. I saw a bunch of cool stuff. Let's go in there. So we went into the shop. Guy pulls out a bunch of coins and Ian said to me, well, Scott, you pick one. And I said, well, this is kind of a cool one here. And I asked the guy, what do you want for it? He said, well, I want 500 bucks. Well, I had done research before I went there and I had saw the same coin in the same condition for about $150. 
And I went to Ian. I said, no, 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 hold off. I said, no, don't buy that one. He goes, no, don't worry about it. It's history's money. We'll take it. Okay. (laughs) So he bought it. The next morning, we're having breakfast, getting ready to go shoot with this archaeologist right now. I was really excited about it. And Ian and the um, A-camera director called me over and said, Scott, we'd like to talk to you. So I went over to their table and I sat down. I go, what's up, guys? And they looked at me and they kind of looked at each other and they said, um, you're going to find a Templar coin today. <laughs> and I said, oh, really? And I said, how is that going to happen? And they looked at each other and they said, well, uh, uh, and I said, you know what's not going to happen? I'm not going to find an effing Templar coin. Are you effing kidding me? I mean, obviously, that's why I bought bought the coin the next day. I said, you think we're going to plant a coin with the top archaeologist in Israel and disrespect him like that? Scott Walter, Mr. Templar is going to find a Templar coin. You know what we're not doing today, guys? We're not doing that. I was pissed off. And they backed off immediately. And guess what? We We did the scene. And it was really funny because he was... A cool dude. He just did whatever he wanted. And the first couple takes, he was like, yeah, those effing Palestinians. And I'm like, sir, sir, you can't use that. No. Got to do it again. And then he did it again. I go, sir. He goes, all right, all right. So you know what I did find that day? I found a ceramic tile from the first temple period. Screw the Templar coin. I found a piece of, of ceramic glass from the first temple period. And it wouldn't have done anything for the show that we were shooting. And this is the kind of stuff that they do in TV sometimes. Now they didn't force me to do it. Obviously I wouldn't have done it, but some guy back at the network, you know, thought that would be a cool idea, right? Well, no, we're not doing that. So anyway, um, I digress. Sorry. (laughs) And I think it's great to get to hear these type of inside stories. And, you know, we all know that things like that happen. And sometimes it's you watching the show and you know, like, come on, like, it's obvious that that was staged. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Good for you. There's one show in particular that does that right now that invited me four times to be on it. And I said no for that very reason. I wonder if I can guess what show that is. Um, So. As far as um, the Knights Templar coming over here to America, uh, yeah. do, you th- do you think that they, uh, the a whole Oak Island narrative where they're finding Templar artifacts, is that is that accurate in your opinion? Do you think that the Templars went to Oak Island? Yes, they did. Um, so it's interesting that you ask about that because one of the things I am going to talk about at the conference is the documents that have been coming forward to us from uh, a colleague and close friend, his name is Donald Rue. And without going into a long dissertation, I'll do it at the conference, but I think people are going to really enjoy hearing about these documents. Don has been getting documents from colleagues that he worked with at an agency that did work for our government. Uh, What's the official way I'm supposed to say this? Um, oh, the the company did uh, private security work uh, for branches of our military. In any case, his best friend uh, purchased a document in 1971 that he um, acquired in Rome. And it was basically uh, Knights Templar records dating back to the mid-12th century, all the way up through the middle 18th century, actually all the way up to 1965. That's right. I forgot. And every so often they would update the records. They would update the maps. They would update the treasure locations. And Oak Island was one of those locations. Now in this past year, 2023, Don received a trove of about 40 pages of documents, maps, drawings, encrypted messages, six encrypted messages that took us months to decode. Four of those messages go into extensive detail about what happened on Oak Island. I can tell you this, guys, 
I know every single thing that happened on Oak Island from the beginning until the end. And Don and I wrote a book about it that right now a bunch of publishers are fighting to, to get a contract with us to publish. And I'm probably going to start talking about it pretty soon, but I want to wait for the book. Um, it's incredible. It's an incredible story. Um, but I will say this, don't hold your breath on the brothers finding anything anytime soon. That's what I was going to ask you. Do you think there's something still there? Like besides something that might've been accidentally left behind, you know, small trinkets and stuff. Let, let me put it to you this way. The Templars aren't stupid. We don't leave our stuff laying around for treasure hunters to find. Right. Right. Yeah. We right. take care of our stuff. Now I will say this, not only do I know exactly what happened, but I know what was put there and I know what happened to it. <clears throat> and like I said, the Templars aren't stupid. We don't. And, and that information. Don't all, I'll tell you this. We don't put all of our eggs in one basket and we sure as hell don't leave our stuff for treasure hunters to find. So, and that information is going to be in the book. It will. It will. And is there, it's a, in there. is there it's already a, in there? What's the release date on that? Depends on, uh, we're going to do this as quickly as possible because obviously from a business standpoint, Oak Island is still airing and um, History Channel is is all in. They've, they've doubled down on Oak Island and we offered it to them. They passed. So ready or not, here it comes. Right. Interesting. I'll let people decide if they think it's true or not. Well, it's their, it's their number one show, so they're not going to let go of that. I mean, of course right. not. Right. Of course not. It's a Very business. And, and I think it's important that people understand that the people in charge of making decisions for all the networks, they don't give a shit about truth. They don't give a shit about accuracy. They're, it's a business. The business. Right. That's what they care about. And yeah, that's they all about they care. Rating. If they happen to get the truth in addition to their money, then, you mm -hmm. know, that's a bonus. Bonus. Exactly. Yeah. yeah Sorry, I I hate, I hate to disappoint people, but oh, it's one okay. thing you're never going to get from me is bullshit. You know, I I appreciate that, and I've watched every episode of that show. To be perfectly honest, and the one thing that I will say that it's doing is, you know, intentionally or not, it's rewriting the discovery of America. Um, it's, it's you know, it blows the Columbus mm -hmm. narrative out of the water, which yeah. I think is is big, you know, that that's actually airing on national TV. Um, and, you know, Columbus Day just came. We still celebrate. It's like, okay, when are we going to let go of that? Um, mm -hmm. I, I, so I do think that it's interesting that it, at least it's doing that. Helping to yeah. wake people up to the fact that what we've been yeah. taught is not accurate. Yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, that that is part and parcel with um, where the um, – Look, they History Channel did our show. We 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 told them everything, right? We gave them plenty of content. I find it interesting that a lot of places that they visited are places that we've already been. <clears throat> so they're doing it in a different context in a different way. But it's um, there's uh, from my perspective, they're not sharing anything that's new. Um, right. But anyway, um, you know, it's it's they've had a good run, but um, yeah. 10 it's years it, after 10 years, if they've proven anything, they've, they've proven that, uh, they spent a lot of money. They spent, they've proven that they've spent a lot they haven't of money, spent right? any money. The brothers haven't spent any money. That's, that's BS. Well, whoever is, all, is spending money. I mean, like oh, yeah, well, spending money on, they're yeah. spending money after. So here's a, here's a fun fact, you know, 10 seasons in, they have generated over a billion dollars worth of advertising revenue. They aren't spending any money. They're just making money hand over foot. They're all making money. They're making way more than anything they're spending. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Very interesting. I find it funny that people buy into this narrative. Oh, they're, they're, you know, they're spending their own money and they're so invested in this. The brothers know there's nothing there. They're just making money. Well, I, I didn't, um, 
I always wonder, I didn't know who was spending the money for all that rigging equipment and those drills and everything. Uh, I mean, I'm not surprised and I'm also not disappointed because I never was attached to it anyway. It's more of the one of those things where, you know, everyone likes watching a treasure hunt, you know, so you turn it on and, you know, eventually, yeah. but uh, I really it. appreciate it. And, um, well, I'm just, I mean, I, you know, part of me has a, a, a bit of an ax to grind because one of the reasons our show was canceled, uh, eventually was not renewed. We were never canceled, but, um, you know, there it's a business and Oak Island is just making money hand over fist there. Uh, you know, you got to understand too, what it takes to make a show. I mean, we did, we were traveling constantly. Traveling is expensive. We traveled with the crew and we, you know, we didn't just go all over the country. We went all over the world and it's a lot cheaper nowadays because cable television is on the decline but the other thing is a lot of these drilling companies that are doing this work for Oak Island, they're getting free advertising. So they're not even charging them in many cases, anything. The other thing is from a tourism standpoint, Canada is also providing money for them because it's, it's helping Canada. So not only are they not spending as much money as people think, a lot of the stuff they're getting is gratis and good for them. They've created that opportunity, but you know, let's let's just be honest and be clear about how this works mm -hmm. and what's really happening. But good for them. I mean, I would love to get in a situation like that and have people pay for, you know, the equipment and everything. And we did have a lot of a lot of that because we did some product placement and people would donate their time and their effort and their equipment or their material, whatever it was. And that's just how the business works. So there's nothing wrong with that. Right, right, right. Yeah, right. but it's it's really I really appreciate the your perspective and hearing the other side of the coin. Yeah, um, it it resonates, and obviously, you know, anything that we see on TV, and that's why I asked about the History Channel or in general, like, um, just because I don't know what they're trying to do. You know, you already answered the question as far as you know they're not really focused on the truth. They're going to manipulate a storyline or whatever is just going to captivate the audience, generate revenue, whatever the case may be. So. Um, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Well, in, in fairness to them, you know, there's there's um, building something up. There's emphasizing certain things that may or may not be where you should probably put the emphasis, you know, in my opinion, perhaps. But, um, you know, there's there's a difference be between sort of stretching the truth and crucifying the truth and and actually uh, and lying. You know, I mean, my God, in the last five years, we've had so much lying. I'm tired of it. It's not new, but the level of bullshit that's out there in the world in our politics, um, I, I just can't take it anymore. I mean, it's like, stop, right? right. And right. In, my, in my world, I run a lab. It's all about the truth. That's the only thing that matters. Facts, interpretations, conclusions. We need to get to the truth because in many cases, people have died or people might die if we don't get, you know, the right answer. And I see the rest of the world and I see our politicians and <laughs> Jesus, yeah. say no I, more. I, yeah. I, mean, I don't even know what to say. I mean, and then people sit there and they believe this bullshit. It's right. like, hello, right. wake up. I mean, my God. Don't you, doesn't your spidey sense go off when you know you're being lied to? And Exactly. Well, that, that's one of the things we, we, that's one of the things we talk about a lot is like the spidey sense, how your body responds when somebody's lying to you or they're bullshitting yeah. you. You should, and, yeah. but we need to learn how to tune into that and understand. So uh, you don't need someone else to tell you. You can just feel for yourself and like, yeah, yeah something's off. Well, here. trust your gut. You know, that old saying, trust your gut, right? I mean, yeah. I, your gut isn't right every time but it's right most of the time and that's an age-old thing that humans have had this spidey sense and we just don't use it often enough i don't think right yeah yeah and maybe your gut is right all the time but we just misinterpret what it means sometimes exactly yeah yeah, yeah. right your gut's telling you something your brain has to process it you have to analyze it and eventually you have to make a decision right and and um your gut's telling you something, it's right about something, but your your analysis isn't always right. Right. Well, 
Yeah, I appreciate that. This is this has been amazing. What kind of uh, future projects do you have coming up as far as do you have any more TV shows lined up, books? Obviously, I'm excited about the Oak Island book. I can't wait, actually. But um, yeah. anything that you want to yeah. share with the audience? Well, um, we do have a new series that we shot, I think I told you, with Gaia, that's going to premiere sometime either around Christmas time or just after the first of the year that I did with Tim Hogan. It's a 10, <clears throat> 10 episode series called mysteries of the Knights Templar. And I, I think people are going to be surprised the the standard narrative of the Templars is not at all what the truth is. And we will tell you the truth about what's going on. <clears throat> so look forward to that. I've got two books coming out. The, the Oak Island book uh, is coming out probably before the other one, which is going to be, uh, uh, what if, I, I can't remember what the title is, but it's it's going to be the continuation of my latest book, Cryptic Code of the Templars in America. And it's really going to sort of be the definitive story about exactly what happened, including, you know, these new documents that we got that will include Oak Island. We're not going to emphasize Oak Island in the big book. We do that in the Oak Island book. But this new book that we're going to come out with is going to... Uh, we're going to drop some big bombs, and I think uh, I think it's going to do well. As far as doing uh, new TV shows, um, we'll see what happens. We have some uh, negotiations that are going on right now. We'll see how it all turns out. Uh, I think you will be seeing us doing some other things, but I don't have anything to announce right now. I will tell people, please come to to the XCon. It's going to be great. I think it's going to be very intimate. It's going to be uh, a lot of fun. I'm going to present new material. Haley's going to present her new material. And it'll be fun to, to interact with the people that are there. I think it's it's going to be one of these things where uh, it's going to be just a little more casual, a little more interactive with the people that are going to be there as opposed to some of these bigger events. So I really encourage people to come. It's going to be a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, if you have any questions for me directly, go to my my blog site, which is scottwalteranswers.blogspot.com. If you're interested in reading any of my books, go to my website, uh, www.hookdex.com, spelled H-O-O-K-E-D-X.com, just the way it sounds. Any books bought on the website, I sign them all, I personalize them. And uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I think that's it for now. But um, there's a lot of new material coming. Oh, and we will touch on the extraterrestrial aspects that um, have come through in these documents, especially in the last year and a half. So it's that's just mind-boggling, but it's all coming together, folks, um, as we need to come together as uh, a species on this planet to get our act together uh, and look forward to going to the next level if we can do that, which is going to be amazing. So let's all work on that. <clears throat> yeah, I'm really interested in yes. the documents and the extraterrestrial aspect of what's covered. In yeah, that. Uh, I will talk about that. At the conference? Yes. Awesome. Definitely looking forward to that. And the link is below in the description, guys, for the Unex Network website. And tickets are still available for the conference. So uh, I'll be speaking there as well. And yeah. we'd love to see you out there. And we, we would love to see you guys out there. And uh, I look forward to meeting you in person. Yeah. Scott, so. Okay, I'll get I'll get the first round. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. And uh, thank you so much for joining us today. This was awesome. Thank you and so much. Yes. I love your yeah. authenticity oh, and your honesty. Um, I mean, that's that's how we move forward. You know, this is yeah. the age of transparency. There's no, we can't operate in secrecy anymore. That's how we got into this mess in the first place. And Exactly. And, you know, yeah. being able to have the humility to self-correct whenever something shows up that challenges your beliefs is so important right now. And, and I just think that I really appreciate your approach at this and I look forward to anything that you have coming up and um, thanks again. And uh, thank, thank you, you for guys having for me guys. I look forward to the next time I'll see you in a few weeks. Yeah. Sounds great. And uh, thank you guys for tuning in. We love you all. We can't do this without you. Uh, don't forget to sign up for our part two of our webinar. If you haven't yet, uh, we found, we uncovered a lot of really interesting information as well, even including some old documents that talk about um, how uh, the Vatican had ordered to seal up some of these old tunnels, which I found really interesting. 
but uh, there's a lot of uh, gems that we discovered that we're going to be uh, um, basically announcing on Sunday. So sign up for that. And uh, we look forward to seeing you guys there. Have a great evening. We love you. Good night. A lot of this information has been kept uh, uh, sort of locked up or kept undercover because of the invasion of the Smithsonian group way back in the 1880s. What actually happens is it's not taken to preserve it. It's taken to hide it. And um, about four and a half miles from here, a cave was discovered. It's not really a cave as such, it's a man-made cavern system. But how the hell do you get that much granite? Because the granite on the base of that damn near weighs what the dirt on the top of it weighs. Nobody knows what's underneath it. I've heard a theory that there's a spaceship underneath it. There was copper and steel plated artifacts that depicted men in armor with shields and helmets. Including right here at Cahokia, there were reported two giants with double rows of teeth and six fingers and six toes. Extra vertebrae or extra ribs in their cage. These are different races of people. They're not just regular humans. Definitely is a stone burial chamber and there's a large body in it, uh, bones. I would say 15 to 16 feet. I saw different types of extraterrestrials here with the Native Americans. The peoples of the Cahokia Mounds actually saw the Birdman as some kind of cosmic being and not a humanoid being. So this Birdman was the last in the pure and the true of his kind. So yes, there, are, there were rituals or there were dances and celebrations and people would dress up like the galactic beings that were visiting, um, but there were actual physical galactic beings that were visiting.